This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 7th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Years after the Citizens United decision allowed unions and corporations to spend more money on political advocacy, public opinion still reflects a decidedly outsized view of the influence of so-called outside money in political contests. Jeff Milo is a professor of economics at the University of Missouri. He spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on the First Amendment. There's a conventional wisdom that most people have the following concerns about money in politics, not just the effects of Citizens United, that there's too much money in politics, the whole system is corrupt, elective offices are for sale to the highest bidder, campaign contributions are the functional equivalent of bribes. All of this serves to distort public policy and make the policy process unresponsive to the people. Um, As a consequence, ordinary citizens are alienated, and and this is uh, manifest in declining trust in government and voter participation. Uh, So the bottom line is campaign finance reform is needed to restore and preserve the integrity of democracy. I think that's a fair um, summary of uh, a majority of public opinion, but you don't have to believe me. We can actually ask people questions of that sort. So if you ask people, is there too much money in politics? Um, This is from the uh, 2016 Cooperative Congressional Election Study, Nationally Representative Survey of 2,000 persons. You get 89% to agree. And I want to stop right there. 89%, that's an awful lot. If you run a survey, many of you probably have, you know that if you have a survey question that asks people, are you answering a survey? I'm not sure you get 89% to agree. So that's very impressive. Uh, If you go down the line here, elective offices for sale, large majorities agree with that. The uh, omitted category would be those with no opinion. Um, Contributions like bribes, large majority agree, et cetera. And right down to the bottom, campaign finance reform is needed uh, 80% to 4%. So there is is, um, a great demand for reform and great concern about money and politics. I'll just add that in general, Once you ask questions that are less general, uh, the support for reform is more of a a general support. When you ask about specific types of reform, you get more moderate support, but still very strong support. So there's great demand out there, and in a democracy, we shouldn't be surprised that political entrepreneurs and demagogues make it their business to advocate for reform, the difference between the two being whether you agree with them or not. Um, So... uh, The Constitution, of course, uh, embodies two conflicting ideals. And so with the First Amendment, we have those classical liberal ideals of free speech and association and the right to petition, which would all weigh in favor of government regulations shouldn't interfere with political activity. On the other hand, we've got the embodiment of egalitarian ideals, equal protection of the law, one person, one vote. And as Bob Bauer mentioned, if you're concerned about um, centers of power and disproportionate influence, then how can there be equal protection of the law in a society with uh, inequalities in, in wealth? Uh, And so you need to uh, sort of resolve this conflict somehow. And the way it's been resolved, uh, the precedent goes back to Buckley, which is uh, the court has come down more on the First Amendment side, I think, by saying uh, Congress shall make no law uh, except to prevent corruption or the appearance of corruption, which, of course, then begs the question, what is corruption? And, uh, and so there's two different theories we might mention. We could view corruption as 
uh, more in a literal sense of quid pro quo, a transactional view, so bribery and influence peddling are corrupt, and that's what we mean by corruption. Or we could mean something like this, uh, what was described as that progressive concern about uh, disproportionate influence over policy. And they're very different views of corruption. There is a challenge uh, for that progressive view. Um, if you're concerned about um, excessive influence and view that as corrupt, then uh, you run into the problem that kind of the whole point of democracy is for people to influence the political process. So you need a clear theory of what is due influence. And in all my years in the business, I've actually never heard anyone articulate what is due influence. So I'm not sure what undue influence is. Again, it's the kind of stuff other people do. Um, and so, but what the court has come down and said is that um, it's, we're going to have a very transactional view of what is corruption. And so only explicit uh, transactions and quid pro quo kinds of uh, corruption are the things that campaign reforms can address. As a consequence, it's okay for government to regulate the source and size of contr uh, contributions made directly to candidates. Those are explicit uh, transactions uh, or ex you know, explicit. There's a little fuzz on the monitor here. Um, uh, so pro prohibitions on corporate or union contributions would fall within this. It's a way of regulating that explicit transaction. Um, on the other hand, um, it would not be legitimate in this view to limit self-funding by candidates because candidates can't corrupt themselves with their own money. There's no transaction there. Similarly, there's no limits on how much can be spent in support of a ballot proposition. You can't corrupt a ballot proposition. It's written down. Um, and another way in which you can ensure that you don't have corruption is, is to make sure that it isn't an explicit transaction, and that's where independent expenditures come in. Uh, and so since uh, Buckley, at least, we see that uh, limits on individual independent expenditures um, uh, are uh, unconstitutional. So we can view Citizens United as um, really consistent with that precedent. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm just a country economists, but we have to say something about constitutional law here. So one way to view Citizens United is by saying uh, government can't limit corporate um, and by extension union or other group independent expenditures is to say that's completely consistent with this view that it's not a transaction uh, between a candidate and a special interest group. And that's enough of a break to provide some, uh, some protection against corruption. And so our preferences for free speech um, win out as long as those are independent. Uh, speech Now then, of course, um, extended this to um, uh, give us what we now know and love as super PACs, groups that can raise money in unlimited amounts from any source in order to run independent uh, expenditures. So, um, you know, People don't like Citizens United. Here's a, a selected um, group of reactions. And uh, so when you get Alan Grayson and John McCain agreeing that this is the worst decision since Dred Scott, and again, not a constitutional lawyer, but I'm, I think that was a bad one. Um, so when you can get people on the opposite side of the spectrum uh, agreeing like that, then, then that's something. Um, you know, I don't think they agree on anything other than maybe their opinion of Trump or health care. 
or campaign finance reform, never mind. So, uh, uh, but obviously, um, you know, very strong reactions that Citizens United, um, by, by opening up unlimited spending uh, through this uh, avenue of independent expenditures, um, which had always been available to individuals, uh, but opening it up to groups and groups that raise money from other sources is going to have a dramatic impact on our, on our politics. Now, if we um, evaluate Citizens United from the perspective that the majority of the court has suggested is the important way to evaluate campaign finance reform, which is not on how it's affecting influence in politics, but rather how does it affect corruption or the appearance of corruption, um, then, you know, we have to say that in general, not just about Citizens United, but in general when it comes to campaign finance reforms, there's really no evidence that um, uh, reforms have an effect on the uh, number of criminal prosecutions for political corruption uh, or any significant effect on trust and confidence in government. And in particular, if you look uh, before and after changes to regulation of independent expenditures, again, you don't see any impact on political corruption or public trust and confidence in government. And now that I read this, I should amend this. I said there is no evidence. That should say there's no good evidence. There's all kinds of bad evidence, but there's no good systematic scientific uh, evidence. And what I mean by that, let me give you an example. So suppose you wanted to examine whether um, regulations of independent expenditures have some effect on political corruption. Well, we need to measure corruption some way. A common way is to look at prosecutions of state officials for political corruption. We could take advantage of different laws in the states regarding independent expenditures as a kind of natural experiment. Those laws are changing over the last 30, 40 years. And so you can look before and after a state changes laws. Is there any effect on corruption? That's the treatment. You need a control. You look contemporaneously at states that don't change their laws and see if there's a difference. We call this uh, a difference in differences. And if you do that, what you'll find is that uh, not only is there no systematic relationship between limits on independent expenditures at the state level and uh, uh, prosecutions for political corruption, there's no systematic relationship in general between state campaign finance reform and corruption. Now, one concern could be that, well, that's not capturing everything that's corrupt about corruption, to use that kind of a measure, and, uh, and so uh, maybe that's the, the problem there. It's too restrictive of a measure of corruption. So instead, we could look at uh, something broader. How about public opinion, public trust and confidence in government, which should reflect something about our beliefs about how corrupt government is, and it's certainly consistent. It's a typical oper operationalization of this concept of the appearance of corruption, to look at people's trust and confidence in, in government. Um, and I guess, um, uh, given the venue, we should say it's not obvious that people should have trust and confidence in government, but let's take it as given that more, all else constant, more trust and confidence in government is desirable. It's, it's consistent as a goal of uh, campaign finance reforms. So uh, a second kind of uh, natural experiment we could look at would be to say, well, just as we did before, um, we've got uh, 30, 40 years of uh, campaign finance reform in the states. We can look at public opinion on trust and confidence in state government in those states that change their regulations of independent expenditures, and of course many of them changed with Citizens United, um, and see if there's an effect on 
uh, public trust and confidence in state government. Compare that to the control states that didn't have changes. And once again, there's no relationship. It's, it's a zero estimate with a very large standard error. It's no statistically significant effect of campaign finance reforms on either typical measures of political corruption or trust and confidence in government. Now, this is all done very scientifically, so to prove that, I brought some diagrams. Uh, and you can see clearly that uh, there was a lot to it. All right, moving on. Um, uh, so campaign finance reforms don't work as advertised. That's something we could come back to and chat a bit more. I do want to give a reality check on the amount of independent expenditures. And so what this is reporting is, again, survey uh, responses from two different surveys, a thousand person nationally representative survey. And if you ask people about what percent of all political spending came from super PACs in the 2014 election, if you ask that after the 2014 election, and then similarly ask the same question after the 2016 election, um, the range of responses, the way to read this table is that um, uh, two to four percent think that zero to 24 4% of all political spending came from super PACs. And they're in, they're in the about right range, depending on the year, depending how you count um, independent spending. If we lump together all outside spending, including from political parties, including in primaries, you're going to get 10 to 20% as your right answer. Uh, you can see that you know, uh, 2 to 4% of people can come up with a, with a good guess. Um, uh, about 10 to 13 percent, um, you know, w with a very generous curve, we could say that maybe they'll pass the class. But uh, the vast majority of people have a really outsized notion of how much political spending is coming from these demonized super PACs. And that reflects that sort of demagogic activity around Citizens United, where you've got, uh, you know, almost half of the population think uh, 50 to 75 percent of total political spending is coming from super PACs, and, and these other folks, I don't even know what planet they live on, that they think more than 75% of uh, political spending is coming from super PACs. So of course people are concerned. And uh, you know, in, in any other um, uh, public policy debate, if people were so wildly misinformed about the way the world works, government would see it as their role to try to better inform them. Here are the health hazards of smoking. Don't drink when you're pregnant. Uh, don't take meth. It's bad for you. But when it comes to money and politics, we don't see those kinds of public service announcements that say, hey, people, it's not so bad. All of the political economy research for the last three, four decades has said that the role of money in politics is not nearly as important or influential as what the public opinion seems to think and what the uh, sort of opportunistic politicians who, who speak to that public, uh, how they describe it. So there is certainly a role for government here to improve information about uh, the role of money in politics and, and the role of uh, independent expenditures. That said, Independent expenditures aren't a large share of total spending. 
but in some races they are a large share. And in particular, if you look at um, if you look at Senate races, on average, uh, for the since Citizens United, um, uh, outside spending has accounted for about thirty percent of spending in Senate races, and in some races a much higher percentage. So we've got another kind of natural experiment. Instead of evaluating what are the effects of laws, we could evaluate what are the effects of this helicopter drop of outside money on a race on people's uh, opinions. Uh, Now, in general, uh, to give you some background, it's well known in political science and political economy that campaign spending is in general associated with uh, more public engagement, higher voter turnout, more interest in public affairs, better ability to name the candidates, what party they're in, what are the main issues. So that shouldn't be surprising. It's advertising after all. So people tend to be more informed, however you mention it. Uh, But we could look at whether uh, this affects their trust and confidence and and their uh, this appearance of corruption might undermine trust and confidence. The old literature, going back to the 90s and early 2000s, finds that campaign spending in House and Senate elections tends to have positive effects or at least non-negative effects on a a variety of uh, survey outcome measures, including trust and confidence in government. No significant negative effect on that. And the conclusion of those studies is that campaign spending is more boon than bane for democracy. People tend to be better informed. It's not undermining trust. But that's the old literature. That's before Citizens United. So is this still true in a post-Citizens United era? Uh, And so what we can do is look at outside spending and trust in government. Um, I'm just going to focus on trust in government and not other survey measures. Um, So I collected survey data from 2010, 12, 14, and 16, traditional kind of question about trust and confidence in in government, matched that to spending data in sending us in um, Senate elections, and um, controlled for other things. For those who have ears to hear, this is a difference in differences analysis, and we're going to control for individual characteristics and other state-level characteristics. Uh, And and, um, we can look at the regression coefficients of interest. Again, for those who have ears to hear, uh, for the rest of us, you can just focus on those asterisks. That means something important is going on here. So what this uh, table is telling me, if not you, is that uh, a one standard deviation increase in campaign spending in a Senate race post-Citizens United, is associated with a 0.1 increase in the standard deviation of trust and confidence in government. That goes the unexpected direction, and it is statistically significant, but it's a very small effect. So again, no evidence that this helicopter drop of outside spending in Senate races is undermining trust and confidence in government. Uh, if anything, it's, it's the opposite, although it is a small effect. Now, the share of total spending that comes from the outside is negatively associated, but not statistically significant, and also a very small effect. A different way you could model this same thing would be to split what's the effect of candidate spending, what's the effect of uh, outside spending, and what you find here is it's candidate spending that seems to have the positive effect on trust and confidence in government, and outside spending has absolutely no effect on people's reported trust and confidence in government. So one of those, and you know, we need to check the robustness of results, so if we had another hour I could talk about that, but um, 
So candidate spending in uh, elections has a small but significantly positive effect on trust in federal government. Outside spending has an even smaller and no statistically significant uh, effect on trust in government. So these concerns that um, large amounts of outside spending post-Citizens United are undermining undermining, uh, public trust in government are just not borne out when you take a, a close look at it. So that said, it's probably a good time to then turn to if reforms don't have much much of an effect on people's opinions and actual incidences of spending don't have much effect on people's opinions, why is it that people's opinions are so very different? How can we reconcile these two um, inconsistencies? And I think part of the answer is that um, people are concerned about money and politics, but they also don't like politics. And you can reform money and politics all you want, and you haven't changed politics. So, um, you know, coming from Missouri, I can assure you that uh, people view Washington as the, uh, you know, the the honeypot or the cloaca of the country. And so, uh, you know, it's politics that people don't like. And you can look at some survey evidence if you ask people, you know, how about pressure from party leaders? on legislators to vote a certain way. Is that corrupt? You get as many people saying that's corrupt as getting contributions from a special interest group. So uh, there is, I think that's sort of the answer to this um, apparent inconsistency is that uh, no matter what kind of reforms we try, people are going to be upset about the nature of politics because it's discomforting and distasteful to most decent people. Jeff Milo is a professor of economics at the University of Missouri. He spoke at Cato's conference on the First Amendment. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.